We started our new series in 1 Corinthians last week, and we can carry on from where Dan left us last week. Uh, but I'm just... Let's say right from the off, I think God is speaking to us today. Just that sense God's called all of us imperfect people to be joined together as his body. What we were just hearing just a minute ago, all the apostles and prophets, you see then, they weren't perfect people, but God called them to a purpose. God takes us and he calls us and he brings us together. But he's calling us, so we've also shared, to tune into him, to fix our eyes on him, to fix our eyes on that king who is leading the army, to stop being distracted by everything that's going on around us, to the what's in our immediate focus, what, what, what could distract us from him and fix our eyes back on the King of Kings to get up and go again, to get up and go again for him with our eyes fixed on him. And we'll see what Paul is saying to the Corinthians here and let's have a look at that. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, we'll read through to verse 17. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptised in the name of Paul? I thank God that I didn't baptise any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptised in my name. Yes, I also baptised the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptised anyone else. For Christ didn't send me to baptise, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. As we progress through the letter to the, the first letter to, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, as a mouthful... We're going to see Paul's tackling all sorts of issues in the church in Corinth. We'll see that throughout, and it starts right here. We're going to look at three things today. Very briefly to start with, what is Paul's focus? What is his heart? What is his desire? Then secondly, we're going to look, and what's the problem right here? What is this problem that he's tackling? And thirdly, what is his response? What's the answer? What's the solution? So what is Paul's focus? What is his desire for the Corinthians? You see, as we started last week, we see Paul is writing to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus. Writing to a group of people in a particular city who have a high calling. 
A calling to be holy together. We've been brought together in Christ. Together with all believers, called into fellowship with him. Paul sees a big picture. Paul sees a great big picture of the church of Christ, united together, people from all nations and languages, people in all places, in fellowship with Jesus. As he writes to the church in Corinth, this is his start point. You're joined up with this. You've been brought together, and you are this people. You see Paul's focus and his heart for the church and his concern right now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus, what? that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Paul's heart is that they are together. Paul's heart is that they are united. Paul's heart is that they agree with one another, that they are united in Christ together. It's such a big priority for Paul. It comes up in so many of his letters. When he writes to a particular church in a particular place, you're the people of God. Christ has saved you. You've been brought together. Be united. Be united. Just to pick out one example right now, as he writes to the Philippians. In Philippians chapter 2, right at the beginning of that chapter, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. He goes on to talk about doing nothing out of selfish ambition, to have humility, to, to walk forward together. This is Paul's heart. He loves the church of Jesus Christ. He loves God's church. And he has great love for the church in Corinth. And so he writes to them now, and he picks up right at the beginning of the letter. He's not going to to wait a long time before getting onto this subject. What's the problem? What's the problem in Corinth that Paul's trying to tackle? Divisions. Paul appeals to them that there be no divisions. No, the Greek word schismata, schisms, break, split, divide. Proper kind of problems that are driving people completely apart. Not just, not just some kind of little, maybe there's a little bit of kind of confusion which we're working through. There's great rifts being Rent here. There we are. There's some words you don't always hear. There's divisions being formed. They're being split. And as he goes on in the next verses, he's heard of quarrels. Now again, that can sound a little bit kind of, well, there's a bit of quarreling going on. Now he's saying, this is a, that's another strong word in the Greek. There's real strife and discord going on. This is, there's a bit of a mess going on here. As an aside, at that point, we don't really know who Chloe is. He's heard from Chloe's household 
that there are quarrels among you. But we won't go into that. We don't know who Chloe is. Perhaps she was a, a woman in Ephesus and she'd had reason to go or to send some of her people to Corinth and they'd spent some time in Corinth with the church. Then they come back and reported to Paul at Ephesus about this. But we don't know. So we won't go into it. But there's divisions and quarrels. This is what Paul's hearing about. But what are they? He tells us, I appeal to you that you would agree, that you would, there'd be no divisions among you, that you'd be perfectly united in mind and thought. And he says, this is what I've heard from Chloe's household. There are quarrels among you. And he goes on to explain. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And another, I follow Christ. You see, at this point, he's not just talking about their Twitter habits. Of course, because they didn't have Twitter, sensibly. They're not talking about following their favourite preacher or teacher or leader on Twitter. Oh yeah, I follow them. Get some good quotes sometimes, that's great. These are the people I particularly like to listen to or learn from or hear from when I'm around. But this is representative of significant rifts in the church. But we see here it's focused around the different names of these key leaders. So what's going on? If we look at a bit of the background of what's happened in Corinth, we get to see that these are significant leaders in the life of the church or in the birthing of that church into being. Particularly two of them. Paul being one of them. If we looked in Acts chapter 18, we see how the church in Corinth had come about or had begun. We see in Acts chapter 18, that, or, or in the build-up to Acts chapter 18, Paul, Paul of course, had been called by a dream uh, of a man from Macedonia. He ends up in Philippi, so he moves from kind of modern-day Turkey into, into kind of Macedonia and Greece, as we would know in the modern day to the city of Philippi, and he gradually makes his way through various different cities, and he finds himself in Athens, the modern capital of Greece. And from there, he goes to this city, another city in Greece called Corinth. He's taken this journey, and he arrives in Corinth, he meets some people, he meets two people you might have heard of called Aquila and Priscilla, and uh, he spends time with them, and he does what he does in all sorts of other places. He goes to the synagogue and he starts to preach the words. And he starts to reason with them, it says. Testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. And Paul spends a lot of time there. He spends some time in the synagogue and then a bit of trouble arises and he ends up moving out of the synagogue and quite hilariously ends up meeting next door to the synagogue after the synagogue leaders have kind of said, or people in the synagogue have said, no, we're not sure about this. But we see great fruit. He spends ages reasoning and teaching and preaching there. And many are saved. It says in, uh, in verse 8 of chapter 18 in Acts, Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. We see a great work that Paul does, or God does through Paul in Corinth. Paul stays there for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. 
So we see there's some trouble that rises up, there's some opposition, but yet there's great fruit, and people are saved and added to this new group of believers in Corinth. And we see after this year and a half, Paul, along with Aquila and Priscilla, they leave, and they're going to go off elsewhere, and Paul and, and, and Priscilla and Aquila, they leave, and they go some way together, and then Priscilla and Aquila, they go to Ephesus. And Paul heads off via Jerusalem back to Antioch, which is where he'd set out from in the first place, ready to set off on another journey in, in, in time to come. So he's, Paul's been there preaching for some time. He's, he's seen lots of people saved. He's seen this church develop to some degree. But let me see later in chapter 18 in Acts, that when Priscilla and Aquila get to, to Ephesus, that's the word, they meet a man called Apollos. And he's got a great thorough knowledge of the scripture, it says in, in verse 24. Instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. And Priscilla and Aquila spend time with him and, and bring him into some more understanding, and he's, he understands more about the Holy Spirit and about how Jesus came, uh, and this is what Jesus was coming to do. And Apollos goes to Corinth. Having been instructed by Priscilla and Aquila, he goes to Corinth. And what did it tell us? In verse 27, when he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, providing from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. That's what we see of how the church in Corinth begins. And what is it that we're seeing? We're seeing Paul and Apollos doing the will of God and seeing this church grow and established. We see Paul preaching for a year and a half and then when Paul's left, Apollos comes in and he helps them even more and they, it helps them in their, in their growth as a people. What we see is Paul and Apollos particularly have had key roles in seeing this church established. You see, Paul will put it like this when we get to, to chapter 3 in 1 Corinthians. Far from, far from this being anything that Paul... Are Paul and Apollos working in opposition to one another? No, 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 no far from it. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 6? I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. You see, Paul and Apollos at different times and in different ways, they're causing the same work to, of God to be established. Paul talks about it in purely complementary terms, this sense I came in and I preached and God worked through that and Apollos came in and he preached and he taught and he reasoned and God worked through that. There's no competition going on here. Not I planted, then Apollos trampled it and started something else. Now Paul and Apollos working together at different times. They're not there at the same time, but they're working together on the same mission. It's not clear whether... 
Peter, or Cephas, as we get in, in chapter 1, is also visited, we can only speculate. Maybe some people who knew Peter had come. Whatever, we don't know. But again, Paul's clear later in the letter, in chapter 15, verse 11, you can read that later. Whether it's me or any of the apostles, Peter or any of them else, we're preaching the same gospel. They're building together, preaching the same gospel, seeing something grow and establish. Why have I laboured that so much? Because yet, at this point, as Paul's writing, he's become aware that something divisive is happening. Paul and Apollos were working at the same mission. Peter clearly is preaching the same gospel. They're all at work at what God is doing. And yet, different splinter groups are forming around different leaders, different personalities. Suddenly now there are those who say, well, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. What's going on? Divisions of forms characterised by rallying to a particular name. You see, it's not spelled out explicitly. What is Paul really getting at? But it continues to be unpacked as we look through the following chapters. What were these divisions about? It's been interesting looking at different commentators' opinions on what the exact divisions were about. You can have a slightly different it's been, all we get to know is, look, different groups are forming around these different leaders. Why? Well, here are some ideas. What Paul goes on to say, they're still thinking in a worldly way. They're still thinking in a worldly way about things. You're still fixed on what it looks like, who the human leaders are, what is going on. So there's a worldly focus to the way they are thinking. So perhaps their divisions came about because it's an issue of pride. A pride of association with a particular man I follow Paul. I'm with him. I met him, you know. I was here right at the beginning when he came. It was Paul who taught me. Well, fair enough, but I was baptised by Apollos. When he came, oh, that's when things all really kicked off. In chapter 3 and verse 3, again we read, before talking about this again, this whole thing of I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, uh, we, we read that... The Paul says, yes, you're quarrelling, but there's also jealousy and quarrelling among you. There's this whole sense of oh, envy and pride and jealousy that's going on. At the end of the first chapter, Paul's straight away dealing with this issue of boasting. No, no, get this, get this, guys. In verse 28 of chapter 1, God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Yeah, there's a sense that there's this pride creeping in. This pride of association. This is who I'm linked to. Paul was the first to come here and I was saved when he spoke to us. We've been here from the beginning. 
It's worldly sense of importance because of who you know. And therefore, they're the most important one. And therefore, I'm important because of that. It's such a sense, this sense of pride can so easily creep in. And for us in these, these days where celebrity culture is so prevalent and so easily creep into the church, this sense that people who are famous or people who are up front, they're so important. It's so easy for a desire to be associated, a desire to be seen with them, to know them. I know, I know, I know Jeremy Simpkins. There we go, I'll put that one out there. There we go. I know this person or that person. I've been taught by them personally. Was that part of what was going on with them? And they're splintering down into these groups. We're with Paul. No, no, no. Apollos, he's the one you really need to be thinking about. What about Peter, Cephas? We sense as they big up Paul or Apollos or Cephas, actually it's their own pride that's being puffed up. Even looking at it the other way, oh, you were saved when Apollos came. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you Johnny come late, Lise. <laughs> well, I suppose that's all right. <laughs> but we're with Paul. So easy for pride or insecurity to creep in and harm relationships and cause division. Whether Paul, Apollos, Cephas, or, intriguingly, this fourth group, I follow Christ. Well, that sounds good. That sounds really good. That makes sense. That, in effect, is what Paul then is arguing for at the end. Spoilers. But, it, but Paul seems also to be suggesting that this group is a problem. You see, as we look at issues of pride... I'm with Paul, I'm with Peter, I'm with Apollos. Well, you know, actually, I don't need any of them because I'm with Christ. You see this superiority or pride that can come from a sense of, I don't need anyone else. I don't need to listen to anyone else. I don't need Apollos' teaching or Paul's teaching. What are you talking about? I've got a hotline to Jesus. No, of course, we want to press in. Don't hear what I'm not saying. We want to be individually getting into the word. We want to be in direct communication with Jesus. That's what we want to be doing. And yet, such a sense of pride or security and comfort. Oh, no, no, no. I'm the one who's really got it right. Perhaps a sense of pride and a sense of superiority of being associated with a leader or not needing to be associated with a leader was part of the issue that was growing up in Corinth. But perhaps also there was just divisions going on because of different styles of these leaders or different emphases that they might have been seen to bring. Perhaps division arose around those preferences of style. It might have come out of emphasizing particular aspects that they attributed to the different leaders at the expense of what the others had said. Perhaps they'd noted in Paul and Apollos and obviously Peter, if he'd been there with them too, markedly different styles. Markedly different ways of speaking. And being drawn to one or other's way of thinking as superior to the others. 
Perhaps we could imagine different ones in Corinth saying, oh, I just love how Paul spoke about the grace of God. Oh, Paul, it's so wonderful how he was able to, to communicate that so simply and wonderfully to us. Yes, but Apollos, he's a proper thinker. He brings such depth and such fluency in his speaking. Apollos is so much the better speaker up front, in front of us. He, he brings such, such wisdom. It must, be, it must be because it sounds so good. Such wisdom that he brings. You see, again, they're being drawn to a worldly consideration, if this is so. The sense of appearance, what, what seems to be wise or impressive in the world's eyes. I follow Apollos because he's so much more impressive up front. What he says just seems to make sense to me because of the, the wonderful words that he uses. Now, in the midst of this, there may be some real truth. And it can be true for us. Again, let's go back to thinking about people's Twitter following. Or whose books we read, perhaps. We can find particular teachers particularly helpful. There's nothing wrong with that. We can find that they seem to particularly speak to us, maybe because of their style or how they write things, how a particular way they communicate something. It can be very helpful to us at a particular time. To pick an example, many people find Phil Moore's straight-to-the-heart commentary series incredibly helpful. Sorry, I've almost said that as a pointed statement already. It's not a pointed statement at all. I find them very helpful as well. But others find different styles more helpful. Others might say, actually, predominantly, I'd love to get stuck into one of the Bible Speaks Today, BST series, orange covers, you know what I'm talking about. Just the, the way those are written just seem to help me. Of course... For different ones, it could be different things at different times. So, but that could be a different group, couldn't it? You could have the Phil Moore group, you could have the BST group, and you could have the, no, 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 I use whatever is most appropriate at the right time. You see, you see how it could become a division? Wrongly. See, there's nothing wrong with being drawn to particular, uh, particular teachers and the way they communicate. It can be so helpful to us to be able to, to get helpful input whether it's quotes or, or, or helping getting into the word, however it might be. But you see, so easily it can develop into, what are you talking about? Well, you can't really teach me anything on that. I've heard everything Andrew Wilson's got to say about it. All I need to know is what Phil Moore says on this verse, and then I'm sorted. And soon someone else says, well, what about this? There's some other input here. She's useful. Look, let's get back into the scripture. No, no, no. I know what I think. You see, what, what does he or she say about it becomes our standard or our foundation. You see, going back to Naomi's picture earlier, when we're meant to be focusing on our king at the front, we so easy to get drawn to, oh, interestingly, what's, what are they saying about that? And our eyes stay down there. And suddenly, well, they're over there looking at something else. And they're over there doing something. Suddenly we're divided, just around a style or a particular point of view or something, when actually, what is God calling us to? To follow Jesus together. What were Paul and Apollos doing? Teaching at different times, maybe in different ways, but they were leading everyone to Christ.
You see, a focus on different styles or the way people spoke or this kind of worldly sense of, well, they're more impressive or they're more easy to understand or whatever it might be, becomes a division around particular teachers. There could even be an element of nostalgia creeping in. Particularly maybe for those who were saying, I follow Paul. A sense of it's not like it used to be. I remember how it was when Paul came and he was here for that year and a half. See, the truth is, in the stages of any church or in anyone's life, seasons come and seasons go. So perhaps there was a sense of nostalgia as part of these divisions that were growing up. I'm with Paul. But then Apollos came in, and actually it was really helpful, but things changed. Things were different. Maybe Peter came too, and there was another new season in the church. And so you can look at later, we see this positive sense of changing seasons within the church at Antioch in Acts chapter 11. Actually, let's look at it briefly now. We see the the church in Antioch very briefly in Acts 11. We see it growing through lots of different seasons. In Acts 11, starting at verse 19, we see that people were scattered by persecution. They went to Antioch, and then there's loads of people saved. And it's amazing. This first series of the season of this dispersion of people, loads of people are saved. But then, as time goes on, Barnabas comes. A different season side. There's a, there's a real encouragement at what he sees, and he brings some different input. And more people are saved. But after a time, then he goes and gets Paul or Saul. And he comes in for a whole year. They meet and they're, they're taught and they're growing in understanding and growing together. It's, it's different again. It's outworked slightly differently, but the focus is still the same. We're living for Jesus and we're going after him and we're seeing the kingdom advance in Antioch. But things will have been different through each season. Constant changes. Perhaps easy for the enemy to get in, perhaps in Antioch, and for some to think, well, it was great when Barnabas first came. It was so encouraging. It was so wonderful. For others to love Paul's teaching, for others to think, wasn't it amazing right back in the early days and everything was a bit more fluid and crazy and everyone was getting saved all over the place. So easy for the enemy to get in and make those things divisive. There's a right sense of seasons that come and go. It's true for us. Here's a silly example. Who remembers the Stonely Bible Weeks? I don't. I never went. I was never there. There Loads of other people who didn't have their hands up who can relate to me. I don't. I never went. Who remembers what's now known? I I don't mean you know the name. We might have heard of it. But who, who knows and was kind of aware and there and stuff was going on, either you went there or in your church, wherever you were, the, what's now referred to as the, as the Toronto Blessing? Yeah? I don't. I don't. I'm not making a big point here. I am making a big point. I don't. My home church never really kind of got caught up in it at all. 
But many here were and can remember those times. But praise God, those things in and of themselves, whether you were or weren't there or whether you were really caught up in it or you just heard about it afterwards or whatever, they're not what it's all about. Praise God, we're all brought together from all our different backgrounds and experiences. And God says, I'm building you together as one people. I'm building you together about, as one people. It's not about whether you were there at that point or that point or you heard this person or that person. You are a body together in Christ. It's so easy for divisions to grow, for cliques to form. Perhaps this was happening in Corinth as well. A sense of having to hold on to something. Well, you weren't here when Paul was here. We really understand the depths of what he was trying to explain. You can be with us, but really we're not quite on the same page. Rather than seeing the truth as Paul explains it later, again in chapter 3, I planted Apollos watered. God is at work through all of it. God's doing something with you together. He's bringing you together. Stop saying, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. I follow Christ in some kind of superior way and be united to him. United together. You see, perhaps bits of all these different things are going on. But fundamentally, Paul is concerned that they're missing the point. In focusing on earthly leaders for whatever reason and fracturing into the different groups following different men. They're taking their focus off of Christ. They're taking the focus off of Jesus. And the gospel truth that Paul and Cephas and Apollos have preached to them. With the disclaimer, we don't know if Peter did. Anyway. Taking their focus off of who they are meant to be as God's church brought together in Christ. So that was the second point. What was the problem? <laughs> what was Paul's response? This is the third one. How does he respond? It's summarised and characterised actually by the opening sentence that he brings in this passage, where we started. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on that you all agree with one another in what you say and do. Paul's appeal is to his brothers and sisters in the name of Jesus. Paul's saying to them right from the outset, this is who we are, brothers and sisters, brought together. Brothers and sisters on a mission together, called, as we looked at last time, called to a purpose, called to be a holy people. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is who we follow. This is who we are, and this is who we follow. What's it all about? Where do we find unity? Well, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus and who and you being his church together, brothers and sisters. You see, without getting too isolated into the verses we're looking at today, over the whole course of the ten preceding verses, what has he mentioned over and over and over again in ten short verses? Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, or Christ gets mentioned ten times. It's like once a verse. Keeps coming back again and again. And of course, we kind of made a big joke about the fact that our series before Christmas was, it's all about Jesus. Of course it is, and it always is. But this is Paul's focus here. 
Let me draw your attention back again, church. It's not about Paul. It's not about Apollos. It's not about Cephas. It is about Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. This is where we find unity, as he wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 4. And verse 3. Paul writes to the Ephesians and says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul's drawing their attention back again. There's one God. There's one Lord. There's one Spirit. It's Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. As we read before in Philippians chapter 2, if you have any encouragement with your unity with Christ and your fellowship in the Spirit, so Paul here says in verse Uh, well in that first verse and then in verse 13 he draws it out by asking three questions is Christ divided? was Paul crucified for you? were you baptised in the name of Paul? you see Paul's drawing their attention to the centrality of Christ and his truth and his gospel is Christ divided? Paul draws them to this centrality with a question that has only one answer. There cannot be another answer. Is Christ divided? Of course not. So he goes on to say later on this, in 1 Corinthians 12, and he starts talking about spiritual gifts and about the different outworking of them, but this is the, this is the foundation of it. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4, uh, Verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts, yes, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There's different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Whatever we're doing, however it's done, whoever has spoken to us, it's the same God, the same Spirit, the same Lord who is at work. Is Christ divided? Of course not. Talk of following Paul over and above Peter is nonsense if they're both pointing to Christ. That's why Paul emphasises it so much. I planted it. Apollos watered it, but God is growing it. We're not building our own empires. I didn't turn up and try and start something and then Apollos thought, okay, I'll come and start something else. I want to grow my own name and my own... No, we're growing God's kingdom. And even at that point, there's a note of caution here to leaders in anything. We're not building our own empires. We're serving his church and his kingdom. Whatever we may be doing, wherever that outworks, wherever that may be, it's his. It's Christ's church. We're following him and Christ is not divided. He, he goes on and asks the question, was Paul crucified for you? And here he draws attention to the cross. Paul's answer to their divisions is to draw their attention, stop thinking, who revealed the truth to me? Who talked to me about it? Which man or woman or person of 
or group were the ones who told me about it. Stop thinking that and start thinking and remembering who was it that was revealed to me? Who was it that I was taught about? Who was it that I was introduced to? Who was it who died for me? Who was it who died for us? You see, Paul's drawing their attention again. Who am I? Who is Apollos? Who is Peter? What does it matter? We serve. We may have brought the message to you. We may have helped in many other ways. But Jesus is the one who died for you. Jesus is the one who died for all of you, for his church and his bride. You see, as Paul closes this, this passage, or as we close, we've drawn, a, we've drawn a line here. He emphasizes this. Again, he's talking about, in saying why he, why he made me, didn't baptize many people, he's, he's emphasizing this point in verse 17. For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. But he then says this, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. This is Paul's emphasis. This is Paul's heart. This is where Paul sees everything flowing from. It's not my words. It's not my eloquence in being able to explain it to you. It's all about Jesus and his cross. That's where the power comes. That's where, that's where salvation comes. That's where everything comes from. And Paul, in asking it as a question, brings that impact. Was I crucified for you? And then you know the answer. Then see who you should be fixing your eyes on. And the final question, were you baptised in the name of Paul? Again, with this third question, perhaps there was a particular issue about, ooh, who baptised you? Well, I was baptised by Paul. I was baptised by Apollos. Well, Paul wants to cut straight into that. Again, he's trying to shift their thinking from who baptised me or who was it that baptised me to whose name did they baptise you into? Who was it that you were united with in baptism? Like he says in Romans 6 and verse 3, don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Paul making a massive point about, should we go on sinning? No, we've been baptised with Christ. But, but what's the point? We've been baptised with him. Baptised into him, into his name. Not Paul's, not Apollos, not Peter. It's all about Jesus. Again, when you remember that, the person who did it, the particular person who was in the river with you or whatever, or the pool, fades into relative insignificance. And Paul emphasises this all the more with the seemingly comic aside. Well, who actually did I baptise in Corinth? No one apart from Crispus or Gaius, but also Stephanus' family, and then I can't remember. But even in saying that, he's emphasising the point. 
I'm not keeping tabs on the fact that I've got this list of people I baptised. These are my people. So neither should you. We're all baptised into the name of Jesus. Paul's lack of clarity emphasises the point, guys, it's not about me. So Paul tackles this problem straight up at the beginning of the letter. He's going to be spending time looking at this issue of divisions in the church. But his immediate answer is this. His focus is this, I love the church. And he longs that they would be united as one in Christ Jesus. And this is his answer, fix your eyes on him. Remember who it is who you belong to. Remember who it is that you're really following. And therefore, all these minor divisions fade away as we fix our eyes on him. Because it's all about Jesus.